Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Condoleezza Rice grew up in Birmingham, Alabama and was a piano major for the first couple years in college. But once she made her way to the University of Notre Dame for her master's degree in political science, her career in politics began. She would become a political science professor at Stanford University. She later served as the 66th Secretary of State for the United States. She was the second woman and first African-American woman to hold that position. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Condoleezza Rice reflects on the Trump administration, her consideration for a political run for office, and the conversations surrounding race in the United States. This episode of the Carlos Watson Show was recorded during Aussie Fest in May of 2021. Secretary Rice. Hello, how are you? Nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. You know, I got to get right to our Cleveland Browns and ask you how you're feeling about them. I'm feeling pretty good about the Browns these days. Uh, And they've made a couple of off-season acquisitions. I'm excited to see Jadavian Clowney in a Browns uniform opposite Miles Garrett. So uh, this is a great time to be a Browns fan. I did say to somebody though, when we got up by 28 points against the Pittsburgh Steelers, there's something about it being a Browns fan that you get nervous all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> you do, you do. See, I have PTSD. I go back to Brian Sipe, and uh, you probably don't remember that game against the Raiders oh, that we lost 14 to 12. I, I oh. do. I remember oh. very well. But of course, there were lots of those. You know, there was the fumble and there was the there drive. Were. And oh. uh, Browns oh. fans have a lot to answer for. Yeah, well, you must have divided loyalties, given that John Elway did it to us, a Stanford alum that he is, uh, did those two drives to us. Well, uh, yes, uh, but I never have divided loyalties when it comes to the Browns. The Browns are first always in my heart. They have been since I was about four years old. So uh, I'm just excited that uh, that the times are good now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you? Are you getting to get out and about yet? Have you been? Uh, have you been vaccinated and all that goodness? I have been vaccinated and um, I've actually, you know, I'm like everybody else working at home or as a friend of mine said, living at work. And uh, I'm I'm finding, though, that um, since there really isn't much to do, right, there are no restaurants, people don't get together. Golf is sort of God's gift to social distancing. So I've been playing a lot of golf, especially on the weekends. when work ends. So uh, that's how I'm spending a lot of a lot of my time. But I'm actually finding that there are a lot of things you can do on Zoom. I'm doing piano lessons on Zoom. I'm doing my strength training on Zoom. I'm doing my Pilates. Uh, it's amazing what you can do virtually these days. Wait, are you going to tell me you can do a handstand? Am I am I about to see a handstand one day? Uh, I don't know about the handstand part, but um, I'm actually pretty, pretty good. Um, I've been really athletic all my life, and uh, it's a big part of my life, big part of my life to work out. Yeah. yeah. You know, the thing I miss most is I'm not a very good pickup basketball player, but I'm a legend in my own mind. And so I have missed, <laughs> <laughs> so I have missed playing. I played the Palo Alto Y, and I have missed – 
uh, plane. And I think that when things get healthy, that's one of the things I'm going to appreciate the most when it comes. Right. Back. Well, we just we have to get you over to golf because I'm not kidding. It's the perfect pandemic sport. You can't get too close to anybody because you might get hit with a ball or with a club and uh, you play with your own equipment. So uh, it's it's a pretty it's actually a really good sport for the pandemic. I'm going to take you up on that because Stanford's got a great golf course. So that would it not be does. a bad thing. Yeah, that would not Fantastic. be a bad thing yes. at all. Yes. all. And, and so where would you love to travel when the world gets healthy? Or are you, you know, uh, former Secretary Clinton told me, she said, Carlos, I'm a little exhausted. I traveled so many places that I actually kind of like to be home. But are you in her camp or are there places you still would love to go when the world gets no, healthy? Oh, I, I am definitely in her camp. I The one thing I have not missed during this time is travel. I've been really, really happy to be home, to have my routine. Uh, You know, I look forward to uh, getting back to some places. I love to go to Italy. I actually had a trip to Scotland uh, and uh, and Ireland planned where some friends and I was were, and I were going to go and play golf. So maybe we'll take that up. Uh, I did miss the opportunity. I was about four days from leaving for a trip to go and teach at Oxford uh, for a week or so. So I'm hoping they'll invite me back so that I can take that up because it was literally about four days before I was supposed to leave for that, that things shut down. Did you have a spidey sense about how bad COVID was going to be? Like, because I assume that having been both national security advisor and secretary of state, that you probably have seen these kinds of things play out in in some form in various parts of the world. But did you have any spidey sense as to how bad this was going to be? You know, I didn't know how bad it would be, but I had a sense that it might be a while and that it might be pretty bad. I was actually a national security advisor when SARS hit. And uh, if you'll remember, SARS uh, didn't spread into the huge pandemic. We also had avian flu. So we were concerned about something like this happening. So, yeah, my antennae were probably up uh, more than most. Um, I remember being at a dinner just a few days before I was supposed to leave for Oxford. And um, I'm now telling people that one of our early warnings might be from the business community because uh, these uh, heads of, of big multinationals were starting to hear about the uh, person who'd gone to a ski trip in Italy, come back and infected the office in London. And so uh, that's how I started to hear about it. And I thought, yeah, this reminds me of some of the worst casing that we'd done about what might happen with SARS. So yes, I had a little bit of a sense that pandemics don't go away easily, but I don't think anybody thought we were in for the scale and scope of what we actually experienced. Did you find, and I know I'm not even thinking about any kind of trite answers, but it just, it's been such an interesting last year plus for us, not just the pandemic, but as you said, being home, um, all the racial reckoning conversations, uh, an election. Have you changed in any way or, or, or have you changed any meaningful way over the last year? Well, I I just think that um, I've become uh, even more cognizant of uh, how relationships matter and how uh, you really do have to work at them. You know, I remember last Easter, uh, we I'm I'm a religious person, and so Holy Week is a is really important for me. So not not Holy Week 2021, but Holy Week 2020, which was just after the pandemic was beginning to set in. And I realized for the first time I wasn't going to go to church. And that to me, as somebody who'd been in church on Easter from the time I could remember. So my family and I actually put together a church service, uh, my family in Alabama and all around. And uh, we looked at each other. We thought, you know, we hadn't been together in that way in many, many years. And so in some ways, it deepened your sense of the importance of relationships and you miss them more, but it made you reach out more to uh, stay in touch. Uh, You know, my cousins and my aunt and I had a a daily uh, text message um, chain where we just checked in on each other. So maybe in that way, it was kind of good to remind you to, because you could go weeks or months with never checking in with people, but somehow this made you want to know that everybody was okay. Yeah, that's so interesting that you say that because in my family, um, on my mom's side, she was the second of seven. My dad was the fifth of six. So lots of first cousins, almost 40 in total. And we ended up having, uh, thanks to my youngest sister, we had these monthly um, 
family gatherings on Sundays. And you're right. We ended up probably seeing each other more. And we probably ended up checking in with each other differently because I think there was almost more permission to have kind of a are you okay conversation versus maybe what would have happened in 2019 or 2018, I think. I think. Right. And the real key is, are we going to keep doing it? You know, are we going to continue to to stay on top of what's going on in everybody's lives? And and like with your family, I mean, these were nice because it would say, well, you know, uh, so-and-so can't go to school and she's not going to have commencement. So can you just send her a note and say congratulations? So and in that sense, I think it was really it was kind of nice. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. make of um uh of of former president trump i mean had you known him well over the years or did you just get to know him as he became a serious contender for the presidency i had met him uh a couple times but never in the context of politics uh, obviously and um i remember thinking at the time well this is going to be an interesting experiment we're about to elect somebody whose first job in government is going to be president of the united states and that was new and in many ways, I thought that a lot of it with him was kind of singular for that reason. He'd sort of never done this. And if I thought about even, for instance, the way that George W. Bush came into office when I came into office with him, he came in with a coterie of people who had worked with him as governor of Texas. Uh, well, you know, a lot of people said, well, Donald Trump is bringing all these family members. Well, it wasn't as if he had people around him who'd worked with all of these years. So I think some of it was singular, but uh, quite apart from the, the person, um, what really struck me, and maybe it's because I'm a political scientist, is that uh, the conditions that produced um, a populist leader who had never been in government before were something that I think a lot of us had not paid much attention to, frankly. He, he touched the nerve of people who felt left out by globalization, uh, who felt uh, diminished by elites that uh, just assumed that the conversation was the conversation they were having, not the conversation that people who'd been left behind were having. Uh, he touched the, the, uh, the hearts of people uh, by saying, you know, um, you contribute too, and they've, they've forgotten you, they look down on you. And uh, that's something that we probably still really need to pay attention to. So as a political scientist, I guess I was more interested in what, what produced this 
in our society because uh, somebody said to me, well, is it a revolution? And I said, you know what? A revolution is what happens when you don't see an evolution coming and uh, or when you don't see a revolution coming. And so this evolution had been going on for some time, but then uh, we had this this breakthrough. You know, it's funny now I'm remembering uh, that this young concert pianist was is and was a political scientist who was right. studying the Soviet Union. So now you're reminding me that that she got her Ph.D., looking at different governments and different kinds of leaders. And so when you think about someone like uh, former President Trump, contextualize him for me. If you were teaching a class at Stanford, as you head over to Oxford perhaps next year, how will you contextualize him? Who will you compare him to, either that's currently around or maybe who comes from history somewhere? Well, I think it's more in the context of people who exist now. Uh, you know, Boris Johnson is a little bit this way. Uh, and it, it's not anti-democratic. People are wrong to say it's anti-democratic. These are people who go and stand for elected office. But it is, uh, it tends to be, anti, uh, not anti, but to believe that the institutions are not really uh, the way that you reach people. So uh, if you think about the use of Twitter by uh, it goes around the media. It goes around the institutions. It's a direct appeal to the people. And we've seen that before in history. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily anti-democratic. Sometimes it is, but most of the time in democracies, it's not. Uh, but it does uh, seek to look to people who feel that the institutions don't somehow represent them. And uh, in this case, uh, there was some evidence that maybe the institutions didn't. And so if you want to ask, how do you get those people back where they really appeal instead to the institutions, it, you, you have to, to be responsive. So that's how I would teach it. I would teach it as, uh, if you remember, the, um, the um, dissatisfaction was not with Republicans or Democrats. It was with the establishment versus the people. Uh, if you think about, for instance, the way that uh, Republicans who were interested in, quote, endless wars uh, were portrayed or uh, really a kind of singular um, address uh, when he gave his uh, inaugural address, uh, you know, America starts now in terms of hearing you. Well, that's a really remarkable thing to say. We would have been more accustomed to hearing, well, I want to thank my, my predecessors for all they've done here and here. And so um, it was not singular. It is something that I've studied before, but it did say something about where America was. And uh, the other thing I'll say, and I've said this before, um, you know, there's a, there's a saying that's attributed to Mark Twain uh, that uh, Wagner's music was better than it sounded. Uh, I think uh, some of the Trump policy was better than it sounded. Uh, there, there was an extraordinary um, ability to get people back to work who had not been working for years. Um, if you look at historic unemployment, uh, low unemployment rates before the pandemic. So uh, we shouldn't just kind of try to toss this out because it was an unusual, uh, he was an unusual personality. Secretary Rice, you are surprising me a little bit because I came here thinking that like 43, uh, your former boss and colleague, President George W. Bush, who said recently, who said to me several times that he hadn't supported uh, 45 uh, Trump, that, that you weren't going to be supportive. But I'm actually hearing someone who who's supportive of former President Trump. What I want to be is analytical about it. All right. I don't want it to be emotional about it because, um, look, I, I have never said who I voted for or who I didn't vote, vote for. That's why we have a secret ballot. And I did tell people I didn't vote for President Trump the first time around. Everybody knows that. But I really think it is awfully important that if we want to get back, I'm an institutionalist, all right? I don't like it when people go around institutions. I don't like it when the institutions are questioned. Um, I thought that uh, January 6th was um, one of the most frightening things I have watched. I will also come back and tell you why it was one of the most affirming things that I've ever watched. 
So uh, this is not about support or lack of support for a particular person. This is, uh, as an analyst of politics and of political systems, uh, it gets to the edge for me when you are unable to sustain Americans, Americans uh, belief in their institutions, trust in their institutions, uh, when they are willing to say that those institutions don't uh, stand for them, then I am worried. And I think that that is part of the trend that we saw. And so I think it's awfully important that we go back and say, what happened here? And uh, how are we going to reinstitute faith in these institutions? Now, why did I find January 6th both um, terrifying on the one hand and affirming on the other? Um, yes, and I have said this, it is not appropriate. Uh, it, was, it was completely appropriate for President Trump to go to the courts about the election and to all of that. I mean, we did have Bush v. Gore. I'm, a, I'm after all a veteran of Bush v. Gore. Uh, which ended up in the Supreme Court, by the way. But uh, it was not appropriate to question uh, past a certain point, the legitimacy of those elections. So um, what happened on uh, January 6th uh, will always stand as a stain on our democracy. But what happened that night when people, uh, the senators and the, uh, went back into the Capitol and almost in a boring way, uh, certified that election. Um, I don't know if you watched, I'm a political junkie, so I watched the whole thing. I stayed up and watched them do the certification. And it's, you know, the state of California coast, 47 votes for and 47. And I'm thinking to myself, this is almost boring. But it was affirming that after all that strum and drum, the system worked. And I have gone around the world telling countries, telling new democracies, if you just get your institutions right, then whatever happens with particular personalities, the institutions will hold. And uh, that's what we saw. And I frankly thought that another kind of institutional design that uh, the founders understood, president and vice president are elected separately. And so Mike Pence could do his constitutional duty. You, you have, did you know Mike Pence uh, well? Yes, I do. I know him well. And uh, had known him when he was governor of Indiana because we had a similar interest in uh, school reform and school choice. Were, were you surprised? Because he was under a lot of pressure. And while many of us can sit on the sidelines and say what we would do or not done, uh, people probably had some surprise that he ended up where he did. Were you surprised that, that things played out as they I was I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised. This is a, a, a very, um, a man who is, has integrity and uh, strong values. Um, he and I would be the first to say we wouldn't agree on everything about particularly social policy, but, but this is somebody of, of deep integrity. So I wasn't surprised in the least. Who do you admire these days? Who are some of the, the folks out there who, who catch your attention, either in quiet moments or obvious moments, whether in politics or out of politics? Who are three or four of the people who just you think of and you admire and or enjoy? Well, let me say one who's deceased, unfortunately. Um, I had the great honor and pleasure of meeting Nelson Mandela, and I've really never met anybody quite like him. You know, there, there's this visage of of, um, of confidence, but also humility. And, uh, and I remember looking at him and thinking, how in the world, after 27 years in jail, did you actually decide not to have black suppressed whites, but to build a multiracial, multi-ethnic South Africa? So uh, he still stands to me as, as the kind of uh, epitome of great leadership and a, and a great leader. Um, there are a lot of people uh, that I admire. I admire people who are great thinkers. Um, people who, um, I'll tell you one, Tom Soule is somebody who I admire a lot. Um, uh, Tom not only is 90 years old and writing great books to this day, uh, by the way, like my other uh, friend of longstanding, George Schultz, who recently died on his, or just shortly after his 100th birthday. Uh, but uh, Tom Soule is somebody who has cared deeply about the education of our children and hasn't been unwilling to buck the system 
uh, to, to talk about it. Um, it won't surprise you that I'm a great admirer of Henry Kissinger. Um, Henry Kissinger, um, when I was Secretary of State, uh, he was such a great person to talk to. He was the only person who had exactly my background. He'd been an academic, he'd then been National Security Advisor, and then he was Secretary of State. And so uh, he was somebody who just brought uh, a lot to the table. Uh, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, uh, first woman elected uh, president uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. I, I used to say about Ellen that it looked like she was gonna take Liberia by the ear if necessary and shake them uh, uh, into uh, a, a better life and a better world. So she's somebody that um, I admire um, enormously. Um, and it's so, uh, and you know, look, I love uh, people who were given great athletic skill uh, and do something uh, with it, not just on the field, uh, but um, in, in the way that they uh, approach life. Um, uh, not too long ago, just a little bit ago, as a matter of fact, I, I did something about somebody who may surprise you as one of my heroes, but uh, the, the great wide receiver for the uh, Arizona Cardinals, um, uh, Fitzgerald, um, not just because he won the AT&T as a golfer, which I still admire, but uh, I, I was doing something for the Boys and Girls Club. And I, I, I love these athletes who appeal to our kids and say to them, you have to be a great athlete, but you'd better study too. And uh, Larry Fitzgerald, who finally finished college after um, having not finished college before he went into the pros. I mean, people like that, you know, that are uh, doing the hard work uh, and, and basically staying out of the headlines. Um, I really, I really appreciate that. What an interesting mix of people. Now, did you ever get to meet Nelson Mandela? I did. I did. And um, I was just uh, talking about starstruck. <laughs> could barely say anything. And I'll tell you a funny Mandela story. So I told President Bush, I said, uh, Mr. President, uh, you know, he doesn't agree with us on Iraq. So here's how you might start the conversation. Talk about what we did for AIDS relief, because after all AIDS relief, you know, he agrees. And so they come, he walks in the Oval Office and President Bush, who you know, uh, is somebody who just says what's on his mind. Uh, and he says, so why didn't you run for another term as president of South Africa? And Mandela's head went back and he laughed and he said, because I wanted my African brethren to know that it was okay to leave politics and go and, and deal with your grandchildren. And I thought, you know, what a wonderful thing. Um, yeah, I did get to meet him and it was, uh, it was remarkable for me. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, it's so funny. You think about 27 years, 27 years, prime of your life, all of your 50s, all of your 60s, most of your 70s, that, that, that's, man, that is hard for me. That, that is hard for me to fathom and then to think about turning whatever that depth of frustration, disappointment, heartbreak, anger, fear is, turning that into to something else. Um, it, it really will end up being one of history's great lessons. Uh, that will that will pass all the way all the way through. Um, Secretary Rice, have you ever? I know people have come to you constantly from the first time I met you all those many years ago. I know people wanted you to run for senator back then. I think the first time we met, they wanted you to run for governor back yeah. in the day. Um, did you ever take it seriously? Did you ever seriously think about running? Well, of course, you have to think about it, right? And um, but I every time I thought about it. I thought it's just not in my DNA. Um, there is, we're, we're gonna one day, people who run for office successfully, we're gonna find that they had an extra chromosome or something, <laughs> they're different. Uh, they really do draw so much energy from, uh, you have to, to stay on a campaign trail. I mean, our campaigns are ridiculously long. People are pulling at you and tucking at you and you're, in, you, you know, you're a little bit of a, a Rorschach's test or an avatar. You become whatever people want to see in you. And um, I think I'd last five days in a campaign, um, but I really admire people who do. It's just never been, uh, but I did hold the presidency once, uh, 
of an important organization. That was the Rice family. I was the president of the family uh, from the time that I was four. <laughs> I love that. You know, Birmingham, Alabama has given us yeah. some uh, has given us some good office holders uh, yes. over over the years. And uh, years ago, I had three wonderful sisters. And I would ask my dad for things, and he would say no. And then my little sister Carolyn would come and ask him, and he would say how much. And I would yeah. always be so upset. And he would say, "But you don't understand who's in charge." And so. That's right. That's right. Well, I was clearly in charge and I was an only child, so I didn't have much. I didn't even have much competition. <laughs> that is not a bad piece at all. Well, now, what would you do if they if they came to you, though, and said, we need you? Um, you and, 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 if, and they said it with a real sober thoughtfulness. And I'm envisioning a Mitt Romney. I'm envisioning I'm envisioning a Paul Ryan, who I know you like. I'm envisioning a Nikki Haley. But I'm also envisioning a former President Trump. What if all of them came to you and said, we're at a transformative moment here in 2024. We know it's not naturally in your DNA, but we don't think this is a natural time. We think it's a supernatural time, a transformative time. The tectonic plates are shifting in our society. We need you to step up. Would you do it? Would you run in 2024? No, I'd say to them, let me give you ideas instead. All right. <laughs> one of you go and run and I'll give you, I'm perfectly happy. It's one reason I decided to become director of the Hoover Institution. You know, I didn't need another inbox job, frankly, but but um, I am by nature an academic. I think you could tell when I was talking about uh, what we've been through in our politics. You know, my, my want is to, to understand um, how our political system, how our democracy can uh, best be sustained and strengthened and what we need to do in terms of policy, whether it's foreign policy or now leading the Hoover Institution, what we need to do about inequality or what we need to do about technology and uh, and governance, which, you know, technology is changing. Talk about stresses on our institutions. Um, these 200 plus year old institutions never imagined uh, what social media is doing or what AI will do. And so uh, that's the way that I like to contribute. Um, that and I'm a, a huge proponent of uh, educational reform, and I spend a good deal of time uh, on education reform. So um, I'm happy to provide ideas and counsel and thought. Uh, I've done my part in terms of Washington. You know, I, I caught lightning in a bottle twice. I was the Soviet specialist at the end of the Cold War for George H.W. Bush. And then I got to be National Security Advisor and Secretary of State for a president who trusted me and who I admired. Um, at a time of consequence for the country. You know, it's enough. It's enough. Well, why do you think, uh, uh, former President Bush has said to me before that there was something special in how you guys got along and interacted, and that while there were lots of people who he enjoyed working with, that he particularly enjoyed working with you, why do you think that was that you guys had such good chemistry? I think we uh, complemented each other um, well. Uh, he... He really was somebody who wanted you to tell him exactly what you were thinking. Um, and, and that's kind of the way that I am. And we, you know, I never was going to do it in a way that he read about it in the New York Times. I mean, I remember, uh, you may remember, Carlos, he, he um, in a, a press availability one day, he was asked, uh, do you want to uh, kill Osama bin Laden or do you want to capture him? And he said, oh, I'll take him dead or alive. Bring it on. And so we went back in the Oval Office and, and uh, he said, I shouldn't have said it, should I? And we were alone. And I said, uh, no, you shouldn't have said it. I said, that is too white hot for the president of the United States to say something like that. Now, I admit the standards maybe shifted a little bit. But at that time, presidents didn't say that kind of thing. And uh, he said something like, well, Laura is going to agree with that. And so... Um, I think he wanted to hear from me what I really thought. Secondly, um, we had in, in a funny way, similar backgrounds in terms of families who we were very close to and who influenced us in major ways and who had high expectations. And uh, then uh, we found the same things absurd. I, I will tell you that if you don't have a sense of humor, um, I really have a hard time being around you. If you take yourself seriously every moment of the day, I have a hard time being around you. Uh, life is too short for people who constantly use the I pronoun uh, because they think they are the most important thing that's ever happened to the world. And so I love the fact that 
um, I, I would sometimes I even have to call him on it. You know, I remember once in the Oval, I used some word, I can't even remember what it was. And he said, oh, that's a big word. I don't really know what that means. And I said, oh, come on. They didn't teach you that at Yale. Uh, I went to the University of Denver. You went to Yale. You're going to tell me you didn't, didn't know that word. So um, we, we had a sense of the absurd and, and maybe a little bit of a tendency to, to, to uh, not take ourselves too seriously. Yeah, he has a tremendous sense of humor. He is very funny. And, yeah. and as you said, he is very comfortable with himself, which is, I wish that for everybody in this life, because it is quite a freeing thing to actually be, have some meaningful measure of comfort with who you that's, are. That's absolutely right. If you're not comfortable in your own skin, then you're not going to be able to uh, be confident enough, really, to, to achieve a great deal. And uh, he was confident in his own skin. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. What would you say to young Condi, who is at the University of Denver, on her way to South Bend uh, to get her PhD at Notre Dame? What's going to surprise her, if anything, about this life? If you were able to go back and whisper in her ear, walk with her for a little bit, and say, hey, I know you have your plans, but by the way, here are a couple things that are going to surprise you about this life, either macro things or individual events. What's going to surprise her? Well, uh, the thing that's going to surprise her is that uh, she didn't have a plan and it worked out okay. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is I was a piano major in college, you know, for the first two plus years. I was going to be a great concert pianist. So I would say to Condi as she's on her way to, uh, to Notre Dame to do her master's degree in international politics and economics. Okay, it's all right that you chose your political science major really late. Uh, it's all right that you kind of have an interest in this thing called the Soviet Union and that you just started Russian. Uh, it will work out. You'll find a job. You'll find something that you can do because uh, she had absolutely no idea that she was even going to be a professor, let alone one at Stanford at that point. I had a tremendous ability, which I wish kids had more these days, to live with the ambiguous about life, to live with uncertainty about where you're going, uh, to let things unfold uh, a bit and not to always try to plan the next step. Um, I was also a little bit fearless. Um, and I guess I would say to her, 
that fearlessness is going to work out all right, because when people ask you why in the world should a black girl from Birmingham, Alabama want to be a Soviet specialist, uh, you're going to just kind of look at them and say, well, because I want to be a Soviet specialist. And you're not going to let anybody um, say it's because of color or gender or, or anything. And so um, I would I would tell her that it's going to turn out OK, because there were many, many times when it wasn't certain that it was going to. You know, it's so interesting that you say that your friend Oprah says something very similar that between she and Stedman said Stedman is very much a planner, likes to have a plan like that. And she says she's come to believe in her gut and trust her gut and allow things unfold. And I wonder, I want, it's interesting because you don't hear that many people saying that these days. I wonder what it was about you, what it is about her that allowed you both to be okay with that ambiguity and to kind of trust that things would unfold? Well, for me, it was certainly the confidence that my parents instilled in me. Um, You know, I grew up in segregated Birmingham. I was eight when the Civil Rights Act passed. And watching uh, them, not to mention my grandparents, navigate this uh, thicket that was Birmingham, Alabama, and still do it with great dignity, uh, with great resolve, with a great sense of optimism about the future, Uh, They used to say there are no victims. Uh, You have to be twice as good. And these were sort of messages that just sort of I internalized. So given all of that, um, the the improbable uh, path that my life would 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 follow uh, maybe to me didn't seem so improbable because I had watched this uh, up close. I had seen what they were able to do under those uh, extraordinarily difficult circumstances. Uh, Carlos, I think you know this because we've we've been friends for a long time. I'm not even the first PhD in my family. Uh, My Aunt Teresa went to the University of Wisconsin in 1952, got her PhD in Victorian literature and wrote books on Dickens. Now, if people think that what I do is kind of weird for a black person from Alabama, think about this girl from a generation before uh, from uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that somehow manages to do a PhD in Victorian literature. So I was always around the um, impossible becoming inevitable. And so I think that's probably why I've learned to, to trust my gut. What a beautiful space to, to live in and to, and, to, and to have nurture you. And again, I think it is such an opportunity. I've over the years I bumped into so many people who introduced themselves as your protege. And I think that that's a nice thing too. And I think the fact that you were nurtured by so many different people, I think probably has made it easier for you to in turn be someone who shares that uh, on. So that's uh that's nice to hear that that was well nice. I certainly try and one reason I love being a university professor is I I love opening up the world to my students in ways that people open the world up to me. And, and I do try to get them to be a little bit more tolerant of the fact that they're not going to know what they're going to be doing at 45 when they're 20. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit, I know we only have a few minutes left, but tell me about uh, this last year and the racial conversation and the racial reckoning. Where do you feel like we are as a country on race and where would you like to see us go Give me a little bit of color on that and, and lean into that for me a little bit, because you probably, I assume, have not only personal perspective, but again, have historical perspective, global perspective, and probably can think about how these social transformations either actually happen or just become a hopeful dream that got away. Well, I, I think it's not a dream that's going to get away. Um, I think, in fact, uh, the idea of uh, a a colorblind America is probably the wrong dream. Um, we are, um, you know, racist deep in our history. Um, people have called it original sin. I've called it a birth defect of slavery. It's very deep in who we are. And we see race when we see each other. But uh, if things continue to go and we have made progress, you know, when people say we've made no progress, I think uh, either you're too young to realize how much progress we've made uh, or you're saying that to stop the conversation because I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Yes, we've made progress. Now, are we still? Uh, are there still elements of race uh, that make it difficult uh, for us to completely achieve uh, the American dream for everybody? Of course. 
um, there are uh, stereotypes about one another. Uh, sometimes people look at you and they think they know your capabilities because of your race, or maybe they think they know what you think because of your race. So we do see race, but I, if I could get to a world where it doesn't matter that we're not colorblind, that would be the world that I would, uh, would look for. One in which it's not, uh, you're not gonna judge me because of my color. You're not going to be afraid of me because of my color. And I think if we could work on that part of it, uh, everything from police reform, and let me just say, we need police reform, but we also need police. And I'm a little worried that um, as we talk about this, that we don't make it impossible to be a policeman because particularly some of the communities, uh, the, the, the most desperate communities need law and order to be able to exist and to prosper. And so we need police reform, we need education reform. Um, I think about uh, my own experiences, education was so important in my life. My, parents uh, always thought I was going to get a high quality education, whether there was prejudice or not, and they were going to make sure of it. But you know, today, when I can look at your zip code, and I can tell whether you're going to get a good education, and a lot of those kids trapped in bad public schools are minority kids, I want to strengthen the public schools, but I also want to give parents the same choices that I would have. So, you know, if I'm, if I am of means, I'll move to a district where the schools are good and the houses are expensive. That's a choice. I can send my kids to private school. That's a choice. So who actually doesn't have a choice? Poor kids. And I have to tell you, Carlos, nothing makes the hair on my neck rise up more than when somebody writes an editorial about when we should, why we shouldn't have charter schools and vouchers because they take away from public education and then send their kids to Sidwell Friends. Come on. So uh, that for me is the civil rights issue of our time. And one thing that I would say about these times we've been in, I'm glad we're having a conversation about race, but let's remember what each and every one of us has to do to make that conversation have a good end. And for me, it focuses on what we can each do about education. Uh, I love that. And I love it, especially as a son and grandson of teachers. Uh, and I appreciate that. Can I finish up with a uh, lightning round of uh, rapid fire and ask you, you a couple it. quick ones? Um, you your favorite book. What's your favorite book? Oh, my favorite book, The Icon and the Axe by Jim Billington about uh, the Soviet Union and Russia. Love that. Um, uh, your karaoke song. <laughs> uh, it's a little difficult to sing, uh, but uh, Led Zeppelin, anything Led Zeppelin. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to tell you what it really is, but it's a little raunchy. So uh, No, no, no. Give me the raunchy one. Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. That's, that is terrific. Zero percent of the people saw that coming, including me. I absolutely <laughs> love that. Um, your favorite candy. What's your favorite candy? I don't like candy. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you yeah, were not, you're not the jelly bean. I don't have a sweet tooth. I, I have, I have a, a salt tooth. So you should ask me my favorite salt, tea. Your favorite, it, it is? Uh, popcorn. Popcorn. Most beautiful place you've ever been to? Uh, most beautiful place, uh, Lake Como in Italy. Oh, you're on that George Clooney uh, track. Yeah, yes. It's really that beautiful. It's really that beautiful. It is just stunning. Um, I'll give you another one, um, which is um, the holy city, Jerusalem, uh, at, at sunset or at sunrise. Um, something otherworldly happened there and you feel it. Wow. Oh, I love hearing that. And you're not in, are you a fancy hotel or are you an Airbnb person? Well, um, I, you know, Secretary of State didn't let you stay in the Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, last question, who should play you in a movie? If, uh, if someone were to do a fresh new movie of your life, who would you love to have play you? Well, now, if I answer that, it's going to sound, you know, kind of, 
cocky. I, I want Haley Berry to play. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, and you're talking about a Cleveland native in her. I am. So that, that all of that works together nicely. That's good. I like her as you. I like her as you. I love her as you. Uh, Secretary Rice, thank you so much for joining me here and for joining us at Aussie Fest. As you know, this is going to be something really special for uh, so many of the students, especially the students at uh, the HBCUs who are uh, going to get to watch and be in attendance. So thank you for doing it. Well, and thank you for doing it. And if I could just say to those students, you know, find what you love to do, uh, what you're passionate about, train well and work hard to do it, and then go get it. Don't let anybody tell you that your passion shouldn't be your passion. Secretary Rice, thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.